Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star Sports Podcast presented by First Federal Bank. It's Thursday, June 2nd, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. We're talking Chiefs today with beat writers Herbie Teope and Jesse Newell and focusing on wide receiver and running back. Even with the loss of three of their four top wide receivers from last season, the Chiefs must feel like they're in pretty good shape with the likes of McCole Hardman, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster, and draft pick Sky Moore. Plus, candidates like Josh Moore, Darius Fountain, Justin Ross, Cornell Powell, and Justin Watson, and more will make the competition fierce for the final couple of spots. We also get into running back, where Clyde Edwards-Alaire is the presumed starter, but how do Ronald Jones, Derek Gore, and even draft pick Isaiah Pacheco fit into the mix? It's always great to catch up with the beat writers, so let's get started. We're here with Herbie Teope and Jesse Newell talking Chiefs, and guys, I don't know about your yards or your neighborhoods, but I'm looking at standing water in my backyard now. It has just been just pouring over this whole metro area for for a few days. And that got me thinking about the Chiefs practice facility. They have the ability to go indoors when the weather is inclement like this. And I know it sounds kind of you know elementary, but it, it seems to me pretty important that they're able to to um just take it off the you know from the from the outdoor grass into the indoor artificial turf, and it hasn't always been like that in football. Maybe as long as we've been covering it, it's been like that that there you've had indoor facilities. But I can I can remember seeing photographs of uh, practices by NFL teams outdoors in the rain. So don't they, Herbie? Like at a drop of a hat, the drop of a rain, they will uh, they'll take this thing indoors, won't they? Depends, you know, like Andy Reid, it depends on the rain, okay? If, if it's a lot of wind involved or if it's a light, a lot of wind involved, absolutely, they'll probably move indoors. Lightning, they'll absolutely move indoors. But a light sprinkle, you know, he, he's, we've been out there before when there's been light sprinkles. Sometimes the Chiefs PR will say, make sure you bring your umbrella. And so, you know, you, you have to come prepared. Uh, but yeah, you're right. You know, the old days, you're out there, rain, snow, <laughs> sun or shine, whatever, they're, they're out there. Yeah, and look, indoor practice facilities are somewhat of a modern phenomenon. I, I was trying to find what the first one may have been, the first school or, or team to use one. And, you know, back in, you know, these things started springing up in colleges in the 90s and and uh, and they became part of the arms race. Like Jesse at KU, I, I remember it was a really big deal when they opened up that indoor facility next to the stadium. I want to say that was... I don't know. Was it around uh, pre-orange? I think it was pre-orange bowl uh, season when that thing opened. Do you remember? Uh, their indoor facility? Uh, well, they had to use ant shoots, which was kind of like a, a half track sort of thing. And that's what they used for a long time, but it wasn't very convenient. It was kind of away from the football. So they just opened their indoor here a couple of years ago, which has been really convenient. It's right across the street from the football stadium. But to your guys' point, I mean, the bigger part of this is coaches can preach, hey, grind through toughness or, you know, whatever you want to say. And some some of that is important to kind of get that mindset, that mentality. But a bigger thing is just to have your guys learn. You know what I mean? You got to know the offense. You got to understand the plays. You got to understand what guys are wanting. And when the elements are kind of 
uh, taking away from that and, and making you lose focus, that's really where you want to move indoors and make sure that you uh, have all the learning that takes place that needs to take place. So I know KU has been um, really happy with their indoor facility. And like you said, Blair, it's been kind of an arms race in college football. But as far as an NFL team goes, that really is something they should have ready to go if, if, at the drop of a hat just because they need to get this learning in just like everybody else. Yeah, I the good we- thing about the indoor facility too, Blair, you know, when we're talking about the offseason, regular season, it really comes into play. Because if, if you're a cold-weather team who's getting ready to go play in a hot city or you're going to be playing inside of a dome, it makes no sense to re- – you know, because most coaches like to replicate game day conditions. So if you know you're playing in the dome, it makes no sense to be practicing outdoors. Right. That's a good point. And the other thing that, that I think about is uh, when the Chiefs uh, started training in St. Joe, one of the reasons they picked St. Joe is because Missouri Western had an indoor facility or they, they were they had made plans to build an indoor facility to accommodate the Chiefs. So um, that it's really important during training camp uh, when, they, when they're in St. Joe to have a place they can walk up the hill and and finish their their morning workout indoors out of the rain and and now you're talking about you know hundred you know more than a hundred you know personnel marching up the you know at least in the first couple of weeks of training camp going up the hill and going inside they these things have to be big enough they have to be a football you know field size at least and that was some of the, I can remember some of the early ones in colleges weren't you know they were like fifty yards or fields were like they had a half a field in them. And, you know, they thought, well, at least we got something, but no, you need a, you need a whole field now. And, and uh, like, a, and those, that's why those things are kind of massive. They, they can, they're pretty large facilities on campus. Well, anyway, I just, it got me thinking about um, the convenience now and um, in colleges, every school has to have one and the NFL, everybody of course has one. Uh, an indoor Except facility. the Bengals. Is that right? I didn't know that. Yeah, right now the Cincinnati uh, Municipal is, they've been in negotiation with the Bengals to build an indoor facility. It's the Bengals. You know, you make the Super Bowl now, all of a sudden you can say, hey, it's about time you take care of us. <laughs> Which I should say, man, I had no idea. Um, God, my my mind goes back to that AFC Championship game, you know, a million years ago when it was like the coldest game on record um, when they played the beat the Chargers, um, and I, I, I shudder to think they didn't have a place to practice indoors that week. It was like fifty below in the wind chill. Well, anyway, um, so we've already had one media availability during uh, OTAs. We're going to have another one here in a day or two, and um, I want to go back and find out what 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 did we learn from. The first week uh, of Chiefs, OT, first week of phase three of, of OTAs and the first media availability. Um, we, we did get to speak with uh, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and the new safety, Justin Reid. And we, we, we played most of those in the podcast last week. But any, any big takeaways from you, Herbie, on, on uh, the, the, uh, the first week and what was said afterwards? Well, you know, some of some of the biggest takeaways, unfortunately, we can't report. <laughs> that's the that's the well, only explain, bad thing ex- about. Explain that. Well, NFL OTA rules specifically say media availability. You cannot report who's lining up where. You cannot report specific plays. You, the only thing that you're limited to is what you know who made good catches, etc. Um, and, and as we've talked about in depth at the last week's show, you, you have to be careful. When you're talking about Jesse Newell making the phenomenal catch against Herbie Tiobi, who can't put his hands on him. 
So, of course, you know, those, those are the kinds of things we're going to feed the hype because, you know, that's that's what we do. We're, we're media and it's football. Uh, so, you know, Jesse Newell making the catch, you got to put that in perspective. He's not in pads. The defense can't put his hands on him. They can't jam him at the line of scrimmage. But, you know, when we go out there specifically, we can't report who's lining up where. And that's, you know, you have to wait until training camp for that. You know, biggest takeaways for me is when I'm out there, I like to see, you know, you start setting the table for training camp, especially um, these camp battles that are highly important. Um, one of the things that really stood out to me was Sky Sky Moore is still dealing with the hamstring injury. You know, yeah. rookie mini camp, Andy Reid said, hey, you know, we expect him to be a full go during OTAs or they expected him back in OTAs. First week, he's still holding his, his helmet off to the sideline, and he's their second-round draft pick. The other thing, McCole Hardman now has a hamstring injury. Those are two of arguably their top five wide receivers, and when they're out, that opens the door for others. Okay, and then so you know you have to take advantage of the repetitions, and you know the other thing, Jody Fortune's back out there, which was huge. <laughs> you know that's. That's the first thing I looked for. I walked out there, take head count. Hey, 88's out there. He has a right sleeve on his on his leg. Of course, you know, you can report that, but, you know, where he's lining up and how much he's participating, you're kind of like, there's that fine line you have to walk. You know, Jody Fortson did not attend Kansas State, but he might as well have the way that you have uh, fallen for for this guy. I like him, too. And, and um, you know, he only caught like five balls last year, but two of them were for touchdowns. And I, I can see him being a, a he was working his way into becoming a bigger part of, of the offense. And um, all right, Jesse. So uh, you're new to this NFL beat. So maybe you haven't picked up all the rules yet. So. Uh, who did you see lining up where on uh, the first week? <laughs> yeah, what's the old saying? Uh, I'd rather uh, beg forgiveness than ask permission, that sort of thing. So here, I'll just rattle off everything and uh, <laughs> Give me the get two, myself in trouble. Too deep, as you saw it. So. Uh, yeah, no. Um, you know, honestly, Blair, so uh, they have these guys come talk to reporters, which I think that is fascinating in itself. And you kind of hear from these guys. And, and that's probably more my bigger takeaways, uh, hearing Patrick Mahomes talk. Hearing Justin Reed talk, which I thought was pretty fascinating because obviously the Chiefs aren't just losing a major uh, play caller player at the back end of their defense in Tyron Matthew, but also the guy that was sort of um, a go-to quote, a go-to team spokesperson. And uh, Justin Reed, just from a couple minutes being there with him, seems like he's kind of ready to take on that role for the Chiefs. And and that might be something that they need uh, on that back end, again, with Tyron Matthew no longer with them. So um, that was interesting. Obviously, a lot of talk about Patrick Mahomes and him, the amount of faith it takes uh, from the coaching staff, Andy Reid and those guys to let him basically run his own session down in Texas with the receivers and how they're trying to um, catch up, if you will. And I think it's something important to keep in mind with this receiving core, which is uh, you really can't put a value or maybe you can't speak enough about how much these guys have learned to play with Patrick Mahomes, like a Tyreek Hill, you know, um, even Patrick was talking about this. Hey, I, the playbook says to run this certain route and you learn that certain route, but then I want you to learn how I want you to run the route and then how you see the coverage. And so you, you could see at points here in these, in this OTA, at least the first one where Patrick Mahomes would be with one of his new receivers, like a Juju or a Marquez, uh, Scantling and kind of point them kind of point with his arm, like, Hey, you went in this direction. I want you at this direction sort of thing. So I think that's something interesting to keep in mind. Those guys are trying to catch up. They're trying to get those reps in, but 
at the beginning of the season, I think it's still going to be pretty tough. I mean, you, you really can't replicate having however many years it was, five, six years with Tyreek Hill and, and that connection he had with Patrick Mahomes. It's going to take a little while, I think, for those guys to completely be on the same page. And especially at the NFL, you have to be on the same page. I mean, the receivers are running option routes. They're reading the coverage in front of them. And then they've got to be on the same page with the quarterback. I think this all loops back to the bigger thing, the biggest thing I took from um, you know, this OTA is, is the receiver position is going to be fascinating. And um, I, I, it's, it's sort of lost in translation, I think sometimes, because if you go back and, and this is available online, like on YouTube, but if you hear Patrick Mahomes talking about his receivers, uh, you know, he was asked about Justin Ross. Hey, what's your first impression? He said, Hey, you can see he has talent, but you know, he's just a little bit off. Sometimes he's making these crazy catches, but you can see talent is there. And he was asked about Justin Watson, a former uh, receiver from the Tampa Bay Bucks, And he's like, man, he was down in Texas. I can't believe how fast he was. But it's funny because kind of the Justin Ross hype train has left the station. I saw a lot of people kind of quote tweeting that out there and blow up online. Oh, my God, Patrick Mahomes thinks Justin Ross is the next coming of, you know, whoever. Where it's sort of like, well, that's I mean, he was asked about Justin Ross. He has to say something, you know, like he, he can't. I mean, I'm not saying Justin Ross is bad. I'm just saying, like, Patrick Mahomes is a professional. He's answering the question. He's saying, hey, he's got some good qualities. He's got some bad qualities. But if you take out a snippet of it, you know, it sure looks like Justin Ross, you know, is is the next pro bowler. And I just don't think that's the case. And there's just so many questions. I mean, Josh Gordon, uh, Herbie's talked about Darius Fountain, who's a special teams guy. You know, they're only going to keep five or six receivers. You already talked about four we know they're going to keep. When it's talking about Sky Moore, McCall Hardman, uh, MVS, and Juju Smith-Schuster. So, that competition is really fascinating to me. It's just, it's so interesting hearing the narratives about all these guys and then kind of thinking about the roster crunch and the reality that's there, which is all these guys are battling for one or two spots. And, um, you know, whatever Patrick Mahomes says about these guys, obviously some snippets get blown up. Some of them don't, but, um, yeah, the Justin Ross, Justin Watson, Josh Gordon, Darius Fountain, um, that sort of competition, uh, for the last one or two spots, that's going to be something we'll all keep an eye on. Yeah, it's, it's the OTA of the Justins, right? That's uh, we're, we're we're all about the Justins here. But I think there's a difference. And Herbie, as a as a longtime NFL writer, um, I think there's a difference between Patrick Mahomes being asked about a player and him complimenting uh, the player like like Justin Ross, and then him volunteering a name like he did with Justin Watson. Um, he, I don't, I think that was the case. I don't think he was asked about Justin Watson. I think he volunteered that. He, he was asked by Justin Watson. I think it was, uh, uh, Matt Derrick that asked him about him, but he just kind of asked about one particular, particular play, but it seemed like, like you're talking about, he kind of went above and beyond, but I'll, I'll get to you, Herbie, but he, he did get asked about him, but it sort of, he went, Hey, I didn't realize that guy was so fast. I was underthrowing him because he was so fast. That's sort of thing. Got on the phone and talked to Veach, you know, wanted, wanted to get some more information from, from Veach about, about Justin, uh, Watson. Yeah, the unprompted comments are the ones that kind of like make you raise your eyebrows. But, you know, Jesse is right. He was asked specifically about Watson. When it comes to wide receivers, and I'm just going to toss out some names here over the the past five, six years, seven years maybe, uh, of players who looked good during OTAs. But once the pads came on, they kind of disappeared. Antonio Callaway from last year. Brett Veach was saying, hey, he's a guy I really look forward to, to seeing. Mahomes talked about him, and, and Callaway did look good out there at OTAs, then disappeared. Well, he got hurt at camp, but then he disappeared. Frankie Hammond, a lot of longtime Chiefs Frankie fans remember Frankie love, Hammond. Love Frankie definitely Hammond. The, yeah, definitely the all-OTA team. Weston Dressler, remember the, the Canadian import uh, 
I think it was the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. You know, he looked good out there, and then all of a sudden disappeared. Fred Williams, a fan favorite, you know, a, a preseason darling, but just couldn't make the team. And this is why, you know, I, I, I mentioned those names because we have to be careful, and fans have to be careful when they're reading all these reports, and it goes back to, again, the pads are not on. Players are supposed to look good when they don't have the pads on. And then when the tackling starts happening, that's where – we're really going to get a good idea. But, yeah, certainly you can use this as a reference point. But we got to see these players with the pads on. Andy Reid even mentioned this at the end of rookie minicamp. He's like, we got to see the pads come on. You know, this is the pro- this is the only way we can properly evaluate these players. I think you can make the case that wide receiver is the one position that um, that really stands out in situations like this, right? You just, you, you can, you can tell, look, everybody's got speed and you can, you can tell who, you know, who's fast and who is not as fast as you might've thought. You can tell who can catch a punt or a kick and uh, that sort of thing. But really the, when it comes to a performance that might you know, resemble something like we might see with pads on or, you know, on game day, catching, you know, running routes and catching footballs, um, you know, th- those are things we, we that can be seen at a practice. And so it's, it's one reason we talk about wide receiver as often as we do during this, even even in years when the Chiefs had their wide receiver room all locked up. Um, you, you still talked about what you saw a wide receiver do in, you know, in camp. So, all right. Hey, guys, let's take a break here. I want to stay on wide receivers, but we'll do that after we take a break and we'll be right back. Buying your first home is a huge milestone, but the journey there can be confusing. First Federal Bank of Kansas City is here to make it simple. After nearly a century of serving the KC community, our loan advisors have experience in every type of housing market. With a short phone call, we can give you a free rate quote and talk through loan options. No pressure, no obligation. The road to home ownership can be simple with First Federal Bank. Get started with a free quote at ffbkc.com homes. First Federal Bank of Kansas City, because banking is personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Hey, this is Blair. There are several ways to access the Star Sports section. Let me tell you about a couple of them. There is Sports Pass. For $12.99 a month, you get unlimited digital access to all of the Star Sports content, including beat writing, columns, features, pretty much everything we write. The deal renews monthly until you tell us to cancel. For $159.99 a year, you get everything the Star has to offer digitally, including sports and the e-edition. Go to KansasCity.com and drop down to the bottom of the page where it says start a subscription for more information. Your support has never been more important. As always, thanks for reading and listening. Okay, we're back on Sportsbeat KC with Chiefs Beat writers Herbie Teope and Jesse Newell. When we left off, guys, we were talking about the wide receiver room. Um, You know, Jesse mentioned five or six wide receivers, depending on what they keep. I think it's six. I think it's always been six with the Chiefs. Uh, I think there is an interesting decision to be made, and this is the beginning of the decision-making process uh, for the Chiefs, who that you know who who number six and number seven uh, are, uh, because six will make the team and seven won't. But there are good candidates, and I I think Herbie that. there are there are plenty of good candidates because it's it's not it's not obvious who the sixth one is. You could you know it could be um, uh, you know I don't have I don't have the list in front of me. But when when I did see the list, I I counted eight that I thought could be uh, all, you know Chiefs wide receivers this year. And usually I'm looking to find a sixth one. 
And now I'm looking to get rid of a couple that I think could be and would end up on other NFL teams at some point. So, um, and, and, you know, just fascinating candidates like Justin Ross um, and, um, and Darius Fountain is such an interesting guy, too. What do you think the separation points are going to be for, uh, for, for wide receiver? We know that right as of right now, they have 13 wide receivers on the roster. So if you're going to go with the top four, you know, this is McCall Harmon's a lock. Uh, Juju Smith Schuster is a lock. Marquez Valdez Scantling is a lock. I'm going to say Sky Moore is a lock. So now all of a sudden you're battling for five, six, and seven. Doris Fountain, I think, has, has an edge simply because the Chiefs know what he can do and he can, they got to find replacements for guys like Byron Pringle and Marcus Kemp, both of whom were. Gunners last year on special teams. They don't have that as of right now, but I think Doris Fountain is a guy who can step in there. Now, all of a sudden, you're down to two, maybe battling for that sixth spot, and he also has to be able to contribute on special teams. I think they're going to take a really hard look at Josh Gordon, okay? Remember last year, they signed him, spent some time on the active active roster, then he went back to the practice squad, and, you know, Veach was saying, you know, we we need to give him time to learn the scheme because, you know, he, he joined the team uh, not during training camp, but as the season was going. And so he's going to be a fascinating guy to watch as well. We mentioned Watson, who had, you know, four years with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he's the only offensive player in Bucks history to record a sack, and he did that on special teams uh, where, he, where he stopped a fake punt. The fascinating thing about this roster right now is Corey Coleman, NFL experience, Omar Bayless, NFL experience, Matthew Sexton, NFL experience. So they, they have experienced players battling for those spots. And, and so it's going to be really, really interesting to watch. And the last guy, we cannot forget their fifth round draft pick last year, Cornell Powell. Okay. We don't forget about Cornell Powell. Uh, he spent last year on the practice squad. He was a late bloomer at Clemson. So, you know, maybe that time on the practice squad did him well. We'll, we'll, we'll obviously have to see how this all works out. Remind us why, um, you know, he didn't make the team last year. What was it about him that uh, did, was he just not as developed uh, as, as, as they anticipated? You know, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, and not only that, the pads came on. I, I remember during training camp, we're watching him start off working with the twos. And the next thing you know, as camp progressed, he's down there with the threes. And then, you know, you ask Eric the enemy, what's going on with Cornell Powell. And, and you know, instead of mentioning his skill set, the enemy starts off with uh, he's got a beautiful soul. And, yeah, we're like, okay, yeah, he's not making the roster if that's the only thing you can think about. Uh, but, yeah, I think a lot of that had to play the role in that. He just didn't grasp the system yet. But maybe the time on the practice squad helped him. Now, look, you want to have a beautiful soul. Well, don't get me wrong. A beautiful soul is a good thing to have. Um, but <laughs> you better have a grasp of the offense as well. And – and you're you're absolutely right, Herbie, about the special teams aspect of this. That's, you know, you've got um, you know, the, the gunner doesn't have to be a wide receiver, but it it, it helps to have. You've got it's got to be a person of speed. It's going to be somebody who's um, you know a, a defensive back, wide receiver. Um, so important in the Dave Tobe special teams, um, and and that's why Tobe always has input on the on the on the draft as well. So yeah. Here's the interesting thing, Blair. When you look at the roster now, and I forgot to mention because Demarcus Robinson also occasionally chipped in as a gunner. So you, you were talking about three wide receivers who did a lot of stuff on special teams, and McCole Hardman is a returner. 
So you, th- this is where, when you look at the makeup of this roster right now, you got to, like you mentioned, you got to focus on not just their ability to catch the football, but their ability, ability to, to help out on teams. We've, and we've talked about this, Herbie. I mean, again, I'm, I'm not here to just rain on parades and stuff. Um, but a lot of these things you're mentioning, Justin Ross is kind of coming in behind, you know, like he doesn't have NFL experience. Uh, you don't really think of him as a special teams guy. I wouldn't at this point. Andy Reid made comments about how he was, you know, rusty a little bit at rookie minicamp and, and, you know, kind of trying to get back in the flow of things. And I mean, reports are right now that he's just not quite the same explosive level as he was the freshman year when you saw all those crazy highlights. So um, again, I, I, I it, it's been interesting just to sort of read the hype with Justin Ross and then also see, I mean, chief social media has put out all these one-handed catches he's made and, and, and kind of propped him up as well. Um, but yet, you know, to me, if, if he's making this roster, like you tell me here, if he's making the roster, Josh Gordon can't make the roster. Right. I mean, that's, yeah, that's I, I think that's a fair argument because now you know, <laughs> we look at this roster, who's, who's going to be making it. And you have to make the argument on why this guy won't make it. And you look at Justin Ross and you look at Josh Gordon, Gordon obviously comes with the experience, but they're both big receivers. Okay. Gordon's six, three, Justin Ross is six, four. So, you know, they're, they're about the same height. Uh, but this is a matter of, you know, when you make those kinds of decisions, where's the upside and who has the most upside here. And I think it's going to be Justin Ross simply because he's younger. Yeah. Like, okay. Well, yeah. Go ahead. Go, I'm go gonna ahead, say Blair. by a decade or so, right? I mean, he's, yeah. <laughs> well, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating topic, and like I said, the uh, whatever the expression is, the cats left the barn when it's come to Justin Ross. I mean, it's it's going to be something we're talking about every day at training camp. It's be something that's watched by every single fan that goes there. All those sorts of things. Um, but it's it's just fascinating how it's played out because it, it feels like you know when he was undrafted and then signed by the Chiefs, everybody thought the Chiefs got a steal. And then ever since then, the, the comments have been fine on him, but then like the social media has been all these crazy one-handed catches. And then the reality is like the Chiefs have about 10 or 11 dudes at receiver that all can play. So uh, yeah, this is that's going to be one of the main things at training camp. And like, I think we already know that going in. Let's, let's go back to the, the video of one-handed catches. There's no defender around him, okay? So he's making the catch. He's wearing shorts. That one that one highlight that the Chiefs shot out there on, on Twitter – He's on the sideline, and, and that looked like just air, okay? There was nobody around him. So we, we have to always take that into consideration. And then camp is where we figure out who's working with what, okay? If, if Justin Ross is working with Patrick Mahomes and the ones at the start of training camp, now all of a sudden that's where your, your, your radar starts going off. Okay, let's see what the Chiefs are thinking here because there's a certain rotation that they're going to run. And if he's drawing a lot of reps with the twos and threes, like if he's working mostly with Chad Henney, you know, that now all of a sudden you, you get a good idea of what they're thinking. Hey, what Travis Kelsey talked up that one-handed catch, the one that uh, made the rounds on Twitter. Kelsey was really excited about it, kind of chastised Ross for not celebrating it even more. Man, you got, you got to show him. You got to be proud of a catch like that. So, you know, it, a highlight like that shows an upside that maybe another player – doesn't have might might not have i imagine the chiefs or whoever is in charge of their social media account would gladly post everybody's catch highlight catch if it's as special as the one that we saw with with justin ross justin ross was the one who made it and so that that's why 
you're right. There's some irrational exuberance in the, in the Twitter world and the social media world when something like that happens. Uh, I'm, I'm with you, Herbie. Let's let's see what happens when when the the pads come on and and it's 95 degrees in St. Joe and and, and you're going against Legereus Sneed and, um, and 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 all of that. But uh, but but it is fascinating, and I, I love that there are um, I, I love that there are so many candidates to to watch and to pay attention to with uh, with the Chiefs wide receivers. All of a sudden, you know, losing Tyreek Hill, which changed the you know the whole nature of the, of the the wide receiving core. It just doesn't seem like where that could be a weakness. It doesn't necessarily have to be you know uh, you know a, a weakness for the Chiefs. It, it's not going to be a weakness for sure. That's that's the wrong word. But uh, are the Chiefs diminished by not having Tyreek Hill? Certainly, he's he's a he's such a unique talent. But I just think there's enough there and enough uh, enough weapons and more depth. I do believe more depth. Uh, with wide, wide receiver than there has been in recent years. Um, let, let's uh, let's stay on the offense and talk about uh, the the running back position. I'm speaking of you know of, of pass catchers that that you know when, when we when we look at Clyde Edwards-Helaire, you know that was one of the selling points for him as a as a first round draft pick back in what was it twenty um, in, in twenty twenty and. Uh, the, those numbers haven't, you know, haven't been there for him as as a wide receiver. Of course, he's been injured. Is you know his playing time is not what it would be uh, had he been healthy. But I, you know, I I, he, I think he goes into you know training or, or goes into OTAs as running back one. But um, not you know I don't I don't know if you guys think that I, I believe that he's running back one. But it's not a it's not a strong lead on, on other candidates, and we've seen the Chiefs use that position in a in a shared mode over the last couple of years. I wanted to talk about this because I saw where uh, where did Daryl Williams just sign? Um, the Cardinals. Cardinals. Okay, I liked him. I, I thought he was a pretty useful guy. Chiefs got a lot of mileage out of him, um, and and uh, but but I don't think the position is weakened because he's not there. I think there are other strong candidates. How does how does the running back competition play out, Herbie? What do you, who's in the lead and 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 who um, and and how big is that lead? Well, and you know, I think Ed Blair is in the lead by a lot. Okay, at the number one spot, but he is going to get some competition. I think the biggest competition is going to come at the three spot. Uh, Ronald Jones, who, who the Chiefs signed to a one year deal, he's not the kind of running back that Edwards Alaire is. You know, we have to when we talk about his receiving aspect last year throughout training camp. Remember, they, they moved Greg Lewis over from wide receivers coach to the running backs coach. And Greg Lewis, as we all know, played wide receiver in the NFL, and that was supposed to help them throw more. But unfortunately, Edwards Alaire got hurt, spent time on the injured reserve for five weeks. So that kind of set back their plans. Uh, but I think when with a f- full offseason where he's healthy, It'll be Edwards Alaire as, as their top guy, Ronald Jones as their number two. And then number three gets really, really interesting. Uh, Derek Gore is a physical runner. Isaiah Pacheco is, is another physical runner, but he can also catch the, uh, the ball out of the backfield. They got some intriguing undrafted free agents. Jerrion Ely, who the Chiefs list as a running back and wide receiver. Uh, Taylor Fleet Davis, their undrafted free agent out of Maryland. Uh, his his uh, forte is, is as a receiver. That, you know, that's what he did at the University of Maryland. So those guys are going to battle for the number three spot. And, and that's where it's going to get really interesting. 
Pacheco's a guy to keep an eye on. Just an interesting guy, somebody who we, we you know didn't know much about at all going into the draft, but someone who um, the kind of the more you read about him and see him play, the more you like him and think he has a chance at this. Well, let, let's let's stay in the backfield and and talk about a player whose roster spot is absolutely secured and. There is, um, you know, probably if you had to list the players whose roster spots are, you know, are locked in, this player would be, I think, in the top 10. And that's Michael Burton, the fullback. Not, not a household name, but nobody statistically is as productive as Michael Burton. And I know, Jesse, you've got a story coming up on him. You know, I, whenever he came into the game last, last season, I, you know, I thought, well, um, maybe he doesn't get the ball, but if he does, something good's going to happen. And statistics prove something good happened every time he touched it. Eight running plays, eight first downs. That's Can't amazing. do any better than that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, I talked to him last week and he was great. Uh, great to talk to about all this sort of stuff. And uh, obviously he wanted to sign in Kansas City because he knows Andy Reid loves to have a fullback. And um, he was the fullback for him uh, this past season. And you know, it's it's fascinating, and I'll get into this in the story, but uh, the short yardage success it takes a lot of different things happening. And it's not just Michael Burton, uh, obviously. It's it's schematics. It's things that the Chiefs do that are pretty creative. And this is something, you know, they weren't great in short yardage the year before, but they were a lot better last year and moved the chains uh, at a better clip to keep those drives going. And um, I think there are some reasons for that, some personnel changes that helped with that. But, uh, yeah, Michael Burton... Uh, back signed with the Chiefs, uh, one of those coveted fullback spots in the NFL. You know, not everybody loves them or uses them the way that the Chiefs do, but uh, eight for eight on first down rushes uh, when he got it. I think his average yards to go was somewhere around 1.2 or so, I think, when I looked it up. So, uh, but getting that yard, it's really important. And even as he spoke to me about, you know, you give Patrick Mahomes a fresh set of downs. You feel good about doing your job and, and being able to help the offense. And uh, as explosive as this Chiefs offense is, anytime you can do that, that's that's a positive. So, yeah, we'll have a story coming out about that and uh, kind of the fascinating things that go into the Chiefs short yardage. But they were successful with the last year, and Michael Burton played a big part of that. You mentioned the fullback position, and what's unique about it is when you look across the NFL, there are only certain teams, and it's like a, a handful of them, that utilize uh, a fullback, and the one common denominator in all of that is the West Coast offense. You know, before Burton signed here uh, with the Chiefs, too bad Mellinger is no longer here because it's time to drink. He was in the West Coast offense with Sean Payton down there in New Orleans, and then, you know, Payton loved him there, and, you know, I was down in New Orleans and got to cover that last year uh, when Burton was signed. And, and then you look at the San Francisco 49ers, you know, under Shanahan, they, they have a stud fullback. And that's also West Coast offense. So that's that's the common denominator. And you're right, Jesse. They're few and far between in the NFL. Uh, but Burton is certainly a guy that <laughs> you, you dependable. That's that's the best word to use for fullback, and that's what you need. You need a dependable fullback. Yeah, and Jesse, you talk about you know one whatever it was, one point whatever uh, average yards uh, to gain on the first down. Those are the hardest yards. It's the hardest yard to gain, right? When everybody knows what's what's happening and who's getting the ball, and they still did a terrific job in those situations last season. Well, all right, I said we weren't going to talk about the match because by the time this runs, it will already have been played, the golf turn, the, the golf charitable uh, event in, in Las Vegas uh, that includes Patrick Mahomes, who's teamed up with Josh Allen 
against Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, we won't preview the match, but I'll ask you guys to who will have won the match. <laughs> By the time this airs, we'll know. So uh, you tell me, is it is it the young bucks of Mahomes and Josh Allen or will the elder statesmen of Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady pull it off? Jesse, just give me give me a winner here. <laughs> oh, man, I don't want to be like talking trash on anybody here, but um, to me golf seems like an older man's sport. You know what I mean? Like the more experience you have. So I'm going with the older guys. And I honestly think if the younger guys lose, that might be a positive. It means they're spending less time on their golf game. So I will go with the older elder statesman on this one. All right, Herbie. I I agree with Jesse. That's exactly what I was going to say. Golf is an older man's game. Uh, And look, Tom Brady was supposed to retire. So, you know, he was working on his golf game off to the side. Uh, (laughs) Uh, you know, as much as Chiefs fans probably want Mahomes to win and Bills fans want Josh Allen to win this as well, but I agree with Jesse. You got to go with the old guys. I'm going to make it unanimous. Uh, I, I agree. And, uh, um, uh, you know, maybe we'll all be wrong and, uh, and it'll be a great show tonight. Either way, I think it'll be a good show. It'll be fun, fun TV and, and we'll watch. It's on TNT, by the way. Well, what am I, what am I promoting it for? It's already been. It's already happened. So uh, it was on TNT. If in case you missed it. So, um, all right, uh, guys. I had four or five other topics I wanted to talk about. We'll save them for next week because it's always fun talking Chiefs with Jesse Newell and Herbie Tiope. Thanks a lot, guys. That'll do it for today. Thanks to First Federal Bank for presenting today's show. Shout out to the Sports Beat KC production team of Randy Mason, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. And tip of the cap to Chiefs Beat writers Herbie Tiope and Jesse Newell for sharing their insights. Did you catch the morning sports edition? It's the Star's digital sports page and includes Royals game coverage, NBA and NHL playoffs, and French Open coverage. Check it out at liveedition.kansascity.com. Hey, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sports Beat KC.